You're listening to Pod 4 Ham, a podcast that's all about the musical Hamilton, taking it one track at a time. Every episode features different groups of interesting people talking about a single track from the original Broadway cast recording of Hamilton. Visit us online at pod4ham, that's the numeral four, dot com. Follow us on Twitter at pod4ham, or you can visit The Incomparable at theincomparable.com. Son of a whore, go on and on, grow into more of a phenomenon. Watch this obnoxious, arrogant, loudmouth father be seated at the right hand of the father. Welcome, everyone, to another interlude of Pod 4 Ham. This time we're talking about a winter's ball in which our patriots do the sort of things that young men in a war do when they finally get off the battlefield for a minute and get to attend a co-ed mixer. I'm Andy Notko. I have not seen Hamilton, the musical. Uh, I'm going to introduce the rest of today's panel, and I would like each of them to say if they've seen the production, and if so, how many times. We're going to start off with Scott Canaster. Scott, hello. Hello, Andy. I've seen the show one time. Okay, so I'm going to hate you for 38 seconds. Uh, Marco. Marco Savic. Thanks, Andy. Uh, I have not seen the show, but I have listened to the album more times than I care to admit. My brother. Uh, Casey Barber, how are you doing today? Hello. I have seen the show two times. <laughs> and I will hate you twice as long as Scott Canaster. So by the time we get done with these introductions, I will st- I'll, I'll, you'll, I'll, you'll be back on the sunny list. Anyone who's listening, I'm sure you're with me on this, that there has to be some nominal amount of hatred for anybody who's seen it even once. Uh, lucky, lucky, lucky you. Bring it. I'm, I don't I, care. We, we, got, we got sort of an Aaron Burr Hamilton thing going on between me and you, where I'm just, I've got the soliloquy where I get to sing about how jealous I am and how I'm channeling that into rage, uh, but we'll be back. Uh, and finally, Ashley Clark Thompson, how are you doing today? Good. Um, I have not seen the show, so I share a little bit of that hatred, but I did manage to work a song into a conversation with my husband today, so I see that as a win. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'll, I'll actually, this is not this doesn't have anything to do with a winner's ball, but I have to ask the question so that now that uh, when I was uh, in an airport a couple of days ago, I saw a sign uh, that was kind of similar to a line from the opening number from Hamilton. And so I spent a good 15 minutes as I was waiting for my gate to try to find a way to work that into the lyric. Is that happening to you as well? When you see things that are close to the lyrics, you're just in Hamilton mode for 10 minutes. Well, I'm always in Hamilton mode. But <laughs> it never ends Hamilton mode. It's the Hamil curse. Yes, there's there's life before Hamilton, and now there's life now. <laughs> Were there any words before Hamilton? I don't remember. Well, it's just, just as before the curtain raised, all was dark, and then there was light. <laughs> and um, then the fanfare begins. <laughs> exactly. There's. It was still dark, but then you could see it. Uh, so let's let's get started. Uh, so uh, where are we in the story? Uh, a winter's ball takes place right after Right Hand Man, in which we learned that Washington is pretty much spot on awesome, but Weather and his troops are failing him left and right. Aaron Burr sees an opportunity to advance socially, if not militarily, and uh, chatted Washington up about us getting a spot on his staff. But Washington seeks out Hamilton instead. And despite Alexander Hamilton's distaste for a desk job, he takes the responsibility uh, as uh, Burr is dis- dismissed and George is actually kind of a jerk about it. And then that drops us right here into a winner's ball. Um, why don't I start off with Casey and Scott? So Casey, uh, fill us in on like what we're looking at when we're watching a winner's ball. Well, you can hear it in the 
tone of the music where the fanfare comes in again. The first repetition of the introductory. Dun, 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 dun. So as that happens, that's your audio cue that we are shifting somewhere and we must be announcing some sort of change. And then the set moves into more of a formal ball area. There are candles and tables and chandeliers, and it's all very elegant. And that is the scene for the next three songs. We always think of Helpless and Satisfied as the bookends. But what you realize when you're watching this is that it all really does start with the Winter's Ball introductory minute or so that they have. The women come out and start dancing and... Angelica comes out and Hamilton makes his first encounter with her during this song. Yeah, we've already we've already seen the Schuyler sisters come out, haven't we? Yes. Yeah. So uh, so so Scott, did did this match up with what you were listening to time and time and time again with the soundtrack? It it did, but uh something that really struck me seeing it rather than just hearing it was uh how how real it is that Burr is the narrator of the show. When I when I listened to it and I heard his voice uh, obviously, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. has a really distinctive voice, and you can tell who he is when he sings. But there was something about seeing him uh, and and the repetition of the opening number that that struck me as, oh yeah, I guess I guess that really is Burr, and Burr really is the narrator of the show. And so it got me thinking about how it's kind of Burr's show, maybe as as much as Hamilton's. Yeah, especially the, the opening of this song where he just he reprises the the opening lines. How does the bastard orphan son of a whore go on and on, grow into more of a phenomenon? He's clearly still got he still got his dander up after being uh, st- stiff armed by Washington there. Yes. Uh, so it's kind of hard to know. Uh, it's it's kind of hard not to see him as the center of the piece, particularly because of course we know that he's going to shoot a guy at the end of this. Uh, Marco, we do what, know that. Yeah, <laughs> spoiler alert, uh, Marco. What what did you think about this song? As a, as a fellow brother who's just going from the what you were reading online and what we're actually hearing on the soundtrack. Yeah, not having seen it, but having heard it, I uh, think of this as a short, funny transition to go between like the really serious intro to the fun of the wedding that's about to happen. Uh, and it's also an interesting one where it's purely male and has quite a bit of overt, I don't know if it's sexism in it, but uh, a lot of that coming out through this uh, little song. It really is a, a boy's song where they're just say, hey, 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 we're the dames. We're going to see the dames. Uh, Ashley, but it is, a, it is a short song, but it's it's sort of like that that gap between two bookends that seems to I – don't, I don't know. I was trying to figure out how, what I thought about it, given that it's between these two really big, important hunks of the story. Well, honestly, it was a nice reprieve a little bit because – you know, war is hell, but there's time for parties. And, <laughs> and, and so it, it took me back a little bit when I first heard it, like, oh, wait, so we're just going to have a, a ball in the middle of this. But it it was a chance for me to kind of take a little bit of a breather and to laugh and um, enjoy the fun that they're having in, you know, scoping out the ladies. It was a lot like an eighth grade dance. And yep. I appreciated that. <laughs> Well, um, well, I, I suppose. Yeah, I guess you're absolutely right. I was gonna, I was gonna like argue with that, but now I'm looking at the lyrics where Aaron Burr is saying there are so many here to deflower. 
But yeah, maybe like eighth eighth graders who are a little bit ahead in the in the in the book than they think they actually are. Yeah, they might have a better they and they have theories, not real <laughs> um, practice. But but yes, but it's it's just a fun little moment. And I also think it, you know, I've, I haven't seen it unfortunately. I've been turned down for the lottery many a time, but. <laughs> Um, it was nice to see that interplay between Burr and Hamilton. I mean, for me, it shows that, yeah, they're so different, but at the same time, there are a few things that they both have, which is, you know, this ambition, but which is also they love the ladies. The, those moments where Burr and Hamilton are kind of on the same side or they're kind of finding common ground to me are really special because we know how it turns out, right? And we see how, how, viciously they turn on each other, especially how how Burr gets toward the end. Um, and so there's a few moments in the show where they are pals, buddies. Uh, and so in this song, for me, it's when, uh, when they all say ladies, ladies, <laughs> because what I know about hip hop could fill a thimble. But one thing I knew was that ladies, because uh, I had a hip hop loving coworker a few years ago who would announce his arrival every day by saying <laughs> ladies. So I didn't I didn't know where it came from, uh, but until I read the Genius.com annotations. But it was it was probably it was one of the few hip hop references in the show that made me go, oh yeah, okay, I get that one. That line about the ladies is really funny to me. Uh, I'm gay, and so every time I hear it, it just makes me laugh, uh, as if a whole bunch of men would actually go into a room and shout that. And then as I was reading the Genius artwork, or sorry, uh, reading the Genius lyrics, if you click on ladies, there's actually this really hilarious fan art of Hamilton with two pinup or three pinup girls uh, straddling him. And I'm not Anyone clicking. should go look at that picture. It's really <laughs> wonderful. There, there would be no question about replacing him on the $10 bill if that were being proposed as the new $10 bill. That's that's going to be somebody's campaign co- poster in November. I'm not even discounting Hillary in that. That's a that's a very strong image. It is. But even even, even as they're finding common ground here, uh, the, Burr is still getting in his digs here. Uh, they, they delighted and distracted him. Martha Washington named her feral tomcat after him. And I, I, I don't know how I feel about the, uh, the, so then Hamilton actually, he almost seems to break character, uh, uh Lin-Manuel, uh, and he's just sorry. That's true. Yeah. That's an interesting moment. Um, apparently it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Lynn himself acknowledged that it's not true, but what the heck? So I guess we're sort of left to think, does Hamilton think it's true? Does he just want to make people think it's true? Uh, so yeah, there's layers and layers of wall breaking and uh, self-reference going on there that you could probably spend a lot of time thinking about. Not that I have. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, is that Burr was kind of more of a tomcat in his overall longer life. He was the one writing to his daughter about all the ladies he was encountering and the women he was enjoying company with and ended up fleecing poor widow Jumel out of her money in later years. He was living it up. <laughs> I, I was surprised by I, – I didn't know that much about Aaron Burr. I knew more about Hamilton than Burr. And I assumed that this was this might be a sort of Mozart Salieri thing where uh, the – uh, the writers sort of amplified certain things about Burr's nature to make him into a better antagonist. But the more you read about Burr, the more you appreciate that almost everybody, Washington included, including, thought he was a colossal jerk. That's true. <laughs> well played. <laughs> 
And we're talking earlier about how this is sort of like a, a nice welcome breather between two pretty intense uh, sections. Um, we after this, the Schuyler sisters stop becoming oppressionists uh, to us as uh, flirty, high-class girls who are kind of slumming a bit and looking for adventure, and they really become active parts of the story, really players in the in, in, in Hamilton's life. Uh, what would happen, do you think, that if we had started, if our introduction to them had been uh, the song that follows this and not the ability to see them as three fun-loving sisters out in the town? I don't think it would have given their characters as much depth. Um, because the Schuyler sisters sets them up so well, and not only each of them as individuals, but them as a collective group of sisters. And so we have them already, and then we have the men, and then they, you know, it all, it all comes together. And I think it makes their first encounter, at least between, you know, when Hamilton meets Angelica and Eliza, it makes it stronger for me because you know that he is dealing with some very strong women who are his equal counterparts. And, you know, and, and they mention, you know, when they're singing that he's this tomcat. And I think it says something about the Schuyler sisters that he's this big tomcat, but boom, you know, falls in love with, with these women. Hmm. I mean, those, that must be, there's something special about them to get the tomcat to kind of come home. I completely agree. And because the the focus shifts more toward Eliza overall, but her sisters are a huge part of her life. And again, the question I had going into seeing this part of the show was what does Peggy do after the Schuyler sisters? And she does have a big presence on the stage throughout Winter's Ball, Helpless and Satisfied. So she was a big part of Hamilton's life, his whole life, and obviously Angelica was as well. And you do get to see more of that from introducing them in Schuyler Sisters and then bringing them back for this big tour that we go through in these three songs. The Schuyler Sisters sets up their personality so well, especially Angelica's feminism. And when he's saying, uh, is it a question of if Burr or which one? Uh, it really kind of emphasizes that these women aren't going to just go along with uh, Tomcat Hamilton, that he does have to settle down and he's going to have to figure out the right one with the right personality in this case, because these aren't the ladies that you can just take home at night. Uh, I was going to say uh, one thing about uh, Peggy, good old Peggy, which is uh, I think the the show is kind of in on the joke that she says, and Peggy and um and doesn't sing much more than that or any more than that uh, after that because of the staging. Um, if I recall correctly, when she sings the Anne Peggy line, she's kind of making sure sh she gets her, her, herself into the, into the spotlight. So people know she exists, but then she unfortunately doesn't get to sing anymore in that song solo. Um, and so I would, I remember that little bit of staging as, as something interesting. And um, also I, I wanted to point out uh, something that I was thinking about that uh, throughout the show, we get these date cues sung, always sung like uh, 1776 earlier and 1780 is sung in this song and many more. And this is interesting, I think, in comparison to um, a show that has some similarities, Les Miserables, where the date, there are a lot of uh, banners with dates. And in fact, um, Lynn Miranda talks a lot about 
Lemis being one of his favorite shows, the first show he saw as a kid. I think he said he strategically fell asleep somewhere in the second act <laughs> and it worked out better for him. But uh, uh, I, I I thought it was it was an interesting choice that they're sung instead of sung instead of hung. Somebody said, and uh, irony of ironies, what's playing right next door to to Hamilton uh, on Broadway? It's Les Miserables. So what uh, for Scott and Marco, uh, Scott and Casey, um, we ha this is sandwiched between two really intense songs. We get to we get to meet uh, George Washington immediately before this, and he is presented as George freaking Washington, not you know, really like he just stepped off of a marble marble plinth uh, and stepped onto the stage. And then right after that, we get into this really intense uh, sort of the the intensity of the war that's not going well, uh, and how Hamilton is chafing at the bit, and Washington seems to be promoting the wrong people. So it really is it really is like a break for everybody in the audience too. Because now we get to spend a minute and a half inside this this little winter's ball. Like, did, did, if you're actually there in the audience, do you actually kind of need a little bit of downtime so that you can sort of catch your breath and process stuff? Well, I think that you would have to ask somebody who didn't listen to the soundtrack obsessively before going to see the show. Because when you know it by heart already, you're just watching the entire tableau unfold the whole time. But yeah, from a historical perspective, having the break makes sense because that's what they did in the wintertime. The armies were like, all right, we're going to calm down and not fight during the winter because it's too cold to do anything anyway. And that's why they would camp at Morristown, which is where they were when this happened. And they really did have balls. And it was just kind of, you know, like the co-ed mixer, like we were talking about. The ladies would come down and hang out with the eligible soldiers and everyone would kind of give each other the eye. Yeah, I have to say the same. It's I, I'm sure it's it's different going to see it if you haven't obsessively listened to the cast recording. Uh but it, it's definitely designed as downtime. It's you're moving between these heavy topics and uh it's fun. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of comedy in Hamilton and this is one of the fun moments that introduces the romance and the relationships that are so important. Yeah. There's a, we haven't talked about the sexual politics that are sort of wound up into, into this short little song. Um, at this point, if you didn't know that Hamilton is kind of the, the hero of the story, you would be kind of as suspicious of Hamilton, I think, as you would of Burr, because uh, he's singing for the first for part, part of this whole show that he just wants to not be that little orphan kid from this dirt water town. He wants to be big and successful, and he wants to be in, the, in a war because that's a way to advance. And uh, the, I think Burr in this song is talking about how if you hook up with the right uh, wealthy, connected family, marry into this great family you're you're made you're set son and so uh, and uh, given that given that uh, the guys are singing about how hey if we hook up with these rich ladies we're going to be set for life and hey we've been on the battlefield for a long time we just interested in the ladies man uh, you almost feel as though the Schuyler sisters are kind of in danger here. Like it's, it's, it, it would be so easy for them to f look like, Hey, if they don't, they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be dancing with these guys. Well, and I then we the meet Schuyler sisters would have been um, the victims of street harassment. I think <laughs> if this was present day, but then we meet them and we see that they can stand up to any, anything that uh, Hamilton and his buddies have to offer. What, what do you think the fascination is between these groups? Well, the Schuyler sisters are looking for minds at work. Washington knew how to pick the smart ones for his team. Yeah, and, and uh, I also uh, I like the way that this song uh, introduces the wonderful 
shorthand of hey, hey, for flirting uh, toward the end where um, I guess it's all, all, the, all the men who are on stage just say, hey, and it's so clear that they're flirting. And in fact, um, that's used other times in the show. Um, I think when, in, in fact, when he says, when, when uh, he, meet, he sees Angelica later after she, spoiler alert, returns from England, he doesn't say, hey, he says, hi. But I think that's telling. Hmm. And then, but then he does say hey to Mariah Reynolds, also telling. Now, on, on stage, are they uh, being charming as they're saying this? Uh, does, Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yes. So, so they're, lay, they're laying it on. It's not – they're not like cat calling from a, from a girder or something. No, and in fact, when you say hey, you, they're raising their head up like hey. And I'm, I'm doing it right now. You yeah, chin. <laughs> chin up, yeah. <laughs> so it's the, the perfect gesture. I also wanted to. Uh, I was also hoping that we get a chance to uh, talk about. Uh, are we supposed to? Di- how? Where are we in disliking Raymond Burr? Uh, Raymond Burr, for God's sakes! <laughs> how? Who? Who could not like Raymond Burr? For God's sakes! He had that really? taciturn mentality in the courtroom. He wanted to beat Hamilton Burger, but he did not want to uh, to humiliate Hamilton Burger, and that's something we call class. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like, uh, 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 do we start disliking Aaron Burr from the? Very opening number where the, he ends this number by saying, I'm the damn fool that shot him. Or is this, do we start to sort of sympathize with his frustrations? I feel like this is the start of the downfall of Burr in terms of liking him, uh, because this is really when he's uh, starting to r- rail on Hamilton, calling him the bastard orphan son of a whore, which is the theme that comes up every time uh, Aaron Burr is introducing a new segment. And I think that's where you start to kind of diverge between I really like Hamilton and Aaron Burr is really kind of a jerk. And for me, this is where he starts sort of like his downward spiral away from being a peer with Hamilton and growing into being the antagonist. And yet he's still a good narrator because he was not the only person (laughs) to find Hamilton obnoxious and arrogant. He's sort of stating a lot of people's opinions of the guy. We're just projecting it onto Burr because we know Burr's personal history, too. So Hamilton's as good of an anti-hero in some ways as Burr is. Another parallel. Yeah, and I, I think the show does a good job throughout of not making him incredibly evil, keeping him sympathetic and having those moments, uh, like like I was saying before, where, where they actually come together. Um, of, and so um, he's not, he's the villain in your history, you might say, but he's not really, a, he's not a super, he's not the super villain. It's, it's such a malleable sort of opinion though. Um, I, I, find, I, I, I bought the, I think the Hamilton book that was, the, that was the foundation of this musical is one of those things I bought when it was on sale at Amazon. And I just, it was, it's been on my iPad for a long, long time and I started it, but then aborted it. And now of course, now that I'm on the bandwagon, <laughs> I had to keep reading it. And also there's some stuff, uh, PBS documentaries that are on YouTube. And uh, there's so many people, historians are, that like to point out that after the war, Hamilton was kind of justly disliked because he was a real jerk. He didn't make any attempt to uh, make his point in a way that wouldn't humiliate uh, the other people in the argument. He seemed to be 
working really, really hard. Not 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 to be as bad as Aaron Burr, but there was definitely that sort of thing where I want to advance. I want to be seen as a person of means. I want to be seen as someone who is successful. Uh, and so it's uh, if he if he didn't have the snappy songs in this, uh, could you imagine uh, a, a post revolutionary war version of this in which it feels as though Hamilton was just a jerk to everybody, then he was finally a jerk to the wrong person uh, who what didn't who who was not going to miss his shot, uh, and that's how the story ends. You you mentioned the biography that the show is based on. Uh, I, I think one of the the who knows all the reasons why this show has become such a phenomenon. But I think one of them, is, one of the reasons is the astonishing amount of media interviews, social media, books, uh, Twitter accounts. Hamilton is cats <laughs> is a Twitter account where they find cats that uh, are in poses that look like people in the show. Wait, and, I'm finding that right now. <laughs> <laughs> for, for that uh, heads up, I mean, you can really, really lose yourself in just what's what's happening with the show the 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 conversation about it both uh, on really on any level an academic level a theater appreciation level all the actors essentially are on twitter and they're many of them are, are engaging conversation um so you have to you have to kind of watch it if you want to continue to have a life because uh, it's it's so accessible and i think that's that's a part of why it's a phenomenon and really it all began with that book uh and the author of the book was involved in the the creation of the show as an advisor, keeping it historically reasonable. You know, there are things uh, that aren't accurate, but the I think the 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 things that history turns on in the show tend to be accurate or or close to accurate. Like the 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 battle history and the political history is at least within the bounds of of reasonable. Yeah, okay, that happen very similarly to how it's described in the show. I mean, after all, it, it's entertainment. Uh, it doesn't have the same standard as a as a history book, but I think it does really well uh, as history. Yeah, it's when, when we get to the, we were talking earlier about how uh, the line about uh, uh, Martha Washington naming one of her Tomcats after Alexander Hamilton, not technically being true, and uh, and uh, Lin Manuel Miranda basically responded to that saying, "It's too good a line not to use." <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, you sometimes have the freedom of we we're not we're not teaching this to to third graders. We're we're charging 175 bucks a ticket for this, so we can afford to take some liberties if we think it'll be a really really good line. Yeah, like th that that part may not be true. There's a the fact that it's in the show, I think, is because there's a a story out about it. I don't think it was invented for the show. On the other hand, the number about Yorktown, the Battle of Yorktown, is really close to what happened. Uh, and that's kind of amazing that uh, somebody can write a, a, a brilliant musical theater number, stage it with choreography and lights and put it on Broadway with real actors and have it be not only fairly true to what happened, but entertaining too. Yeah, I like this as uh, opposed to being the factual history of the founding of the United States. It's more like the emotional history of America. And as a Canadian, it feels like uh, the whole thing really helped me understand the political climate in the States and really kind of understand how all of these different issues came together to form kind of the modern American psyche. And I feel like that's why a lot of it really sticks because it's that emotional side you don't get from the history books. Ashley, does it does this jive up with uh like what you remember of history? Well it's it's more interesting than 
what I remember of history class. I mean, because the extent that I knew about Hamilton and Burr was, oh, Burr shot Hamilton and killed him in a duel. And the only reason that I'm, I was positive that I knew that it was Burr who was the shooter was because of that Got Milk commercial in, in the <laughs> 90s that reinforced that. But for me, the show humanizes American history in a way that it made it more accessible to me, especially um, the fact that, you know, this is a cast of people of color. I'm a person of color. I'm African-American. And to to see the history of this country come alive with people who look like me has been amazing, an amazing, amazing experience. And also just to know how the issues are that that, you know, relates to the fact that, you know, Thomas Jefferson is played, you know, by a black guy with this big fro. And, and we know his relationship with Sally Hemings and things like that. Um, the fact that, you know, Alexander Hamilton, he was an immigrant at a time when immigrants are unfortunately under so much scrutiny in our country. It just speaks volumes to me that a show about something that happened in the founding of this country could be so applicable to what's happening today, but at the same time, really, you know, make me feel, you know, almost more American or more like I get what they are going through or just the personal struggles that they had or, and for me, you know, I think, this founding father who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago, who, you know, was this white guy that I, you know, can't say that I relate to, they became relatable. And it's not just the actors who play them, but it's the struggles, the internal struggles that they go through, whether it's, oh, I, you know, I'm trying to work my way up or, oh, I'm trying to wait for opportunity for the right moment to strike. That's something that we all go through. To think about how young these people really were when they were going through this. I mean, it's a young cast, but to think about how young Hamilton was when he was striving and John Lawrence and all these people who were very committed to the cause and they were millennials, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah, the age of these guys in their early 20s. Uh, as they're as they're doing this, it it, it really does. Uh, it we have such a great benefit that all of modern history is actually recorded, so we know exactly we we, we can relate to these people. Uh, when I when I was when I started to learn a little bit about World War II history, and one of the complaints about Saving Private Ryan from the uh, from the vets were that well, our captains weren't the age of they weren't in their forties like like Tom Hanks. They were like twenty two, twenty three, and to think of somebody that is basically waiting tables for a year until while they apply to grad schools are now commanding companies of men and being led into a grinder. Uh, as a kid, I loved 1776 because it was the first, uh, it was the outside of school. It was the place where I learned that, no, these people, like they had, a, they weren't just uh, posing on the top of, 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 of statue plinths. They were, they had to work really, really hard to get together some sort of a consensus on what to, on, uh, on breaking free of, uh, of Britain. And the realization that they realized that when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they were essentially handing a list of co-conspirators to the British to say, here are the people that you should be, that you're going to hang in what order <laughs> we're going to put. And then, what a bold statement it was to sign one name bigger than all the rest. So if if I think that if 
stuff like this, if uh, if they get some of the minute details incorrect, but it helps kids to understand that it was people like your brother, people like your sister, uh, people like your mom and your dad that were fighting these battles and they were arguing and suffering as much as your mom and your dad often argue and suffer uh, in much smaller uh, ways, uh, then that's that's a really great trade. We just, it's about time to wrap up the show, but I want to make sure we go around the horn. And if there's anything that anybody wanted to say, but they just didn't get to it, uh, now is the time. Uh, Scott, uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about a winner's ball before we end? I think we covered it. Okay. Perfect score. Marco. <laughs> uh, as I was reading the lyrics earlier today, I was wondering if Hamilton is like Jon Snow. Uh, he's a bastard orphan, son of a whore. <laughs> he grows on to be more of a phenomenon. He wanted to fight, not write. And we all know what happens in the end. Well, or no, do we? No spoilers, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had some reason to believe that some other things might be happening in the end. It's the internet being the internet. But Get George R.R. Uh, Martin on the phone. I think he uh, has some writing to do. I think I, I think he himself would like to know what happens to him. Uh, give him some, some jump starts. Uh, Casey, uh, anything you'd like to add? I think we're set. Okay. Fill out your common cards. Be sure to give, give me fours or fives, and that will help me to fund more of these learning <laughs> annex conversations. Uh, and Ashley, we'll, we'll end it up with you. Um, well, my mind is blown with the Jon Snow comparison, so I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> I would like, I would like, uh, I, I, I'm fascinated by the thought of when the manuscript for this show starts being sold and now like high schools can now do Hamilton the musical and they can't rent enough of these costumes so that maybe one of them will have a big like furry cloak because that's all <laughs> that was in the closet left for, for, for Washington or, or something And then like he'll that. be the Tomcat. <laughs> there you go for, for cats. Exactly. They can, they can sort of piggyback for an entire repertory season off of like four costumes. They got the midnight express costume. They'll get the, uh, suspenders and straw hat from our town. Uh, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of potential here. It's a true melting pot. I can see it now. Hamilton on skates. <laughs> Hamilton express. Uh, <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of Pod for Ham. Uh, thank you, Scott Canasters. Thank you. Marco Savick, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much. Casey Barber. My pleasure. And finally, Ashley Clark Thompson. Thank you for having me. And I was, am, and hopefully will continue to be Andy Anatko. Thanks for listening. I hope you listen to the next one. This has been Pod for Ham. 1780, a winter's ball, and the Skylar sisters are the envy of all. Yo. If you could marry a sister, your rich son, is it a question of if, ber, or which one? Hey, 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 hey.